At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella here at The World Messenger, and I'm inviting for another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. Today, I have fellow Coloradan joining me here on a conversation that is going to be ranging on such amazing topics, what it takes to be a professional athlete and put your heart in and put out, depending on scenario and situation, and also how to find a second chance in life to do what you're really passionate about. So without further ado, I'm going to have a chance to hear directly from Jeremy Anton Anderson. And Jeremy, welcome. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for joining. And obviously, we're here on the Legacy Leader Show, people that are doing some amazing impact in our community and making difference. And before we dive into that, do you mind sharing a little bit about your early upbringing and how did you get into pro skiing? So I was uh, raised in Upper Michigan. I was born in Detroit. And then we moved to the Upper Peninsula when I was around eight. And I had skied a few times before then. My dad had me on skis um, from an early age. He was uh, a youth pastor and also a camp director. And then he took a full-time camp director um, position in Upper Michigan. And we were out in the middle of nowhere. And so one of the ways I would keep myself entertained was I'd build jumps and out. You know, we had plenty of snow in Upper Michigan. Um, you know, the area that we were at would receive, you know, well over 300 inches of snow a year and uh, plenty of snow to push around and we ride behind snowmobiles and just develop the passion for the sport. And as soon as I was able to uh, get myself around on a snowmobile or a dirt bike, um, I started going to the ski hill. I could ride my snowmobile all the way to the, the local ski hill and uh, <laughs> Pine Mountain in Iron Mountain, Michigan. And that was um, one of the world's largest ski jumps was actually there. And so there was a really good uh, Nordic sports presence up there. And um, there's actually some Olympic training facilities in upper Michigan. And so there's a lot of opportunity for winter sport, sport athletes up there. And I just took the opportunity and ran with it. And I always love to go fast and ski hard and it was a good place to cut my teeth on it <laughs> <laughs> fast and furious ski jumping yeah. okay those risky ski jumps wow okay and then <laughs> you start building that more as a professional athlete then later on right yeah so you know i started skiing in ski tournaments did a lot of mobile skiing and um i had a i had friends that ended up in the olympics at lilyhammer and then again in uh salt lake um, city and uh, for different sports, one was speed skating, other, you know, two were, you know, different Nordic sports like uh, um, ski jumping, moguls and whatnot. And um, I just, I never was quite um, to their level. And, and I didn't really like judge sports. Um, so, you know, one of the passions that I really had um, was for exploration um, big mountains, you know, getting getting high in the mountains. And one of the things with traveling for um, ski tournaments exposed me to was just how big and grand the mountains were in Canada and throughout the Rockies. 
And so um, in the mid 90s, I moved out to Colorado to pursue that dream of skiing big mountains and mountaineering. And uh, a couple of years after I moved out here, I was on uh, Denali and skiing the Meshnar Kular. So, wow. you know, so it was uh, just, you know, that really sprung board me into a life that I really wanted to pursue. And just uh, kind of work was just something to fund the passion at that point. That's amazing. And I love what you said earlier that you were not maybe as good as those that competed and you did not like competition and, and judged types of sports. Uh, because a lot of times people have illusion, right? Like I'm the greatest and, and then they're not really so much self-aware to have this self-awareness and know, but also to know yourself so well to know I don't like this because we're always seeing this interesting gray area between pro athletes and their responsibility versus coaches and the judges and everybody around that rallied them. So I'm curious, how was that experience for you when you had to kind of be in that gray area and play and then what did you learn from it? Um, I, I think what I learned was I really wanted to be responsible for my successes and failures and I didn't want to leave it up to anybody else. I think that was the biggest lesson that I learned from that is you know, um, you, you could do the same trick as the last guy have the same time. And for whatever reason, maybe, you know, you opened up just a quarter, a quarter more than the other guy and they're drilling down and, or maybe you were tighter, but it didn't look as big as the other guy, because you were tighter, um, on your trick. And so you got downgraded and I just, that doing that felt like I was doing something for someone else. And what I really wanted to, at that point, I had the realization that I really wanted to do something for myself. And I really wanted to live a life where my achievements were based upon my own, you know, judging of successes and failures. Wow, that is very powerful. And I would have to say, just from interviewing so many athletes and coaches, when I was writing my first book, so many of them didn't have that insights. Anyone from the coach, coach's perspective. So kudos when you define that so early. And obviously being in Colorado, it's so much to love here. It's the gorgeous mountains, great scenery and opportunity truly to explore, but also take an expedition others with you. So tell us a little bit about that. Manitou, so I can't even pronounce. <laughs> Been been on the mountains and many can't even pronounce. Sorry. Okay, giving up. Right. Mountaineering, mountaineering. Sorry. There we go. go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, one of the reasons why you know I visited you know parts of Canada when I was trying to decide where I wanted to live in Montana, um, you know Wyoming down to Colorado, and one of the reasons why I settled in Colorado was just because of the basis of more specific, you know, not necessarily skiers, but more mountaineers that I wanted to associate myself with, because that was the skill set that I was really lacking at that point. And um, I really wanted to learn the tools of the trade, you know, getting, you know, forming an expedition, you know, equipment, um, you know, the ins and outs. And I linked up with some great guys um, throughout the early years that really gave me a lot of coaching. And, um, you know, that, you know, living in the Denver Valley, you get to climb year round on rock, and then you can just go up and you can ice climb and ski at the same time. And it doesn't always have, you know, some of the most stable snowpack, it gets pretty dangerous. So those are all things that you experience and can experience on different mountains in the same trip. And so I thought it was important to be able to be in an environment where I could work on those, all those skills together. Wow, that, that is so true, yeah. 
and not only for you to know, but if it's responsible for the group and crew, right? How do you mm -hmm. help others to go through expedition and have a good experience and be safe, right? Yeah, I think, um, you know, that's one thing as I've gotten older and I've been on some expeditions is just that, you know, things that I've worked really hard on. I mean, it's the same in business. You know, you, you pay attention to different details. You work on your skill set. You don't realize how valuable that is to others because it becomes matter of fact for yourself. And that's not to inflate my ego or anything like that. But I think when you have a skill set, sometimes you take that for granted and um, it becomes, you know, passe for, you know, and just not as not a forethought as much as like, oh, I need to be attentive to this because it's just in the back of your mind. It's it's habitual. And um, it's amazing how that lends itself to being valued on, you know, just about any type of expedition. I get invites all the time and to the point where, you know, I had to be pretty selective over the last several years. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that because a lot of times people think looks easy, you know, but it is yeah. a lot of skills <laughs> and technique behind it. And I'm sure from there, you'll continue to build some of your inner muscle, not only in the mindset, skill set, and obviously your physical ability. So do you mind sharing for anybody that is listening? How would you differentiate from regular people in terms of like, you know, that they just do average stuff, right? Everything you've been obviously doing, it's taking risk, facing these crazy drops and doing really risky stuff. Uh, and of course it gives adrenaline, but also gives the fear factor. How did you overcome all of that? You know, I think um, it's, yeah, you, you start out small and then you just keep pushing yourself, pushing, you know, the environment around you, seeking new challenges. But um, I would say that, you know, one of the things that a lot of people look at is like, oh my God, I can't believe you just did that. Or you just, you actually, you ski that stuff or, you know, you sold this rock or whatever is um, if you're, if you toss the keys to your grandma and all of a sudden she decides to drive 200 miles an hour, you're probably going to be freaked out of your fucking mind, right? <laughs> you know, you're just going to be, you're going to be white knuckled. But if you hop into, you know, a NASCAR with um, Jeff Gordon, and he's tooling around the oval at 200 miles an hour, you might be a little freaked, but you're going to be like, okay, this guy's done it before he's in control. And it's years and years and years that he's built that he didn't, you know, the first time he turned on a car, he didn't drive 200 miles an hour. So I think it's, it's kind of like that, you know, you, you just, you build up the skill set over time. And eventually it's not that you're immune to risk because, you know, part of the reason why I'm still alive and at 45 and, you know, getting ready to turn 46 in October this year is because, you know, there's been a lot of risk mitigation. There's been a few situations where I've been lucky, but I think a lot of the luck that I've had has also been because of the skill set that I've had and the baseline performance that I've maintained throughout a long period of time as an athlete. I love what you said there, because yes, we have to do something despite of the fear, but also we need to understand when it's true danger, right? And differentiate the fear versus danger. And danger is the one obviously to get us killed, uh, mm -hmm. but fear is the one to get us either stuck or something that we really need to internally overcome it. And a lot of times people have a challenge with that. So how that served you? Because obviously after all of these things, uh, you've been doing very interesting work. So do you mind uh, sharing a little bit from that social perspective and social impact, as well, obviously doing something completely different and being very successful in, which is real estate, right? 
Yeah, that's a really big question. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a lot of answers to that because I think, um, so I, well, back, back up. I think when I was, when I was younger and I was starting to do this, um, I had experienced some emotional and physical trauma as a kid. And I think that allowed me to compartmentalize some of the initial fear when you take on a hobby or a sport like I have over the course of a lifetime. Um, the, and that helped build that baseline. And the other thing is as, as I've gotten older, um, as far as mitigation of risk and everything, what I've been able to do is I've been able to recognize that it's not days on the mountain, it's quality days, willingness to say no, um, willingness to, you know, not even go because I know I'm not in the right frame of mind, you know, and just say, you know what, it's no conditions I've had. I mean, I probably have had, you know, over 20 friends within my community that have died in the last three years that are seasoned veterans of the sport. And, um, it's been, it's been hard to, it's been hard to watch, but at the same time, you know, I'm just like, oh, you know, those are situations that I, maybe when I was younger, I might've pushed a little bit more, but as I'm older, I'm just like, it doesn't matter if I get, you know, 20 days on the mountain or 160 days, you know, in the mountains, it's, it's more about, you know, having quality days and staying alive at this, you know, at this point. And that's kind of how the last decade has been for me. Um, I say all that because I think each one of those aspects has given me um, insight and drive into, you know, that kind of the entrepreneurship that I've, that I've developed. And, um, you know, there's, there is, uh, I think the, the ability to look within um, has been the biggest thing and to understand that you know, just, just about any business is functions off of the same thing. You know, whether you're, whether you're Amazon or you're a transactional real estate agent, they're both service oriented business businesses. People don't go to Amazon to buy a specific product. They go to Amazon because of the services they receive. And the same thing goes with, you know, real estate transactions, property management, which is the business that I'm in is everything is really services oriented. And so what you have to do is you have to be like, are the services that I need to provide to the clients to make them happy? Is that something that makes me happy as well? Do I feel fulfilled in providing those services? It's not getting excited about a product. It's not getting excited about this website you're designing. It's not getting excited about, you know, this, you know, home you're selling or, you know, book you're writing or anything like that, because even the book it's just a bunch of words on paper, right? What service yes. are you actually providing those people? And are you excited about that? And I think that translates into really positive business relationships. And that's something that I drew away from, you know, my first decision not to compete anymore. My second decision to stay in my lane that I wanted to was ski mountaineering, create that baseline for my life and do whatever work I could find at that point that would fit into that lifestyle and then transferred into, I learned about myself and I learned that I really enjoy problem solving. I really enjoy the fulfillment of a multi-client situation that is with property management and providing services on a tiered level um, that are often complicated and you have to have conflict resolution within two clients that you actually have to serve. So it's been pretty enjoyable so far. <laughs>
I love and thank you for backing up and sharing that because obviously it, it is about making it's a critical thinking it's about critical thinking decision making self-awareness and then also be able to uh, not be influenced but know what is good for you and a lot of times people don't know that and and I'm sorry to hear about loss of so many of your friends but it is also pointing out that a lot of times when we're careless this is where danger is right careless with uh, our own life, careless with whatever might be going on. And that really also affects and impacts negatively others. And that carelessness can really carry a lot of pain, a lot of damage, a lot of issues. We see this personally and professionally, but we're also seeing with a lot of people that are still in development of who they are, right? They're still figuring out. And we're all kind of all work in progress, but we're also the masterpiece in many ways. Um, so it's beautiful to see how your skills also transition and translate depending whatever you do. And since like also success continues, right? What is What do you think it's a huge attribute for that? Because a lot of times we see people get somewhere, then they crash, they cannot get again, they're not sure, and they go through so much of that change. How that success continuously stays in your trajectory? You, um, that's another really broad, deep question. I think if I had to surmise it and something, you know, that you just talked about is carelessness, I would say that the other thing that that blinds people is obsession, right? And I think you get obsessed about the wrong things. And it's, you know, I, you can, you can break down a business plan by, you know, I want to make X, X amount of dollars a year, right? And then you break it down by how many widgets you have to sell to make that money, um, how many services you have to provide. But I think, I think when you're obsessed on that dollar amount, you lose your vision for what you're actually trying to accomplish. And, um, and I, I think one of the biggest things that I've, that I really try to tell my team and people within my company is that we, we have a certain vision, we have a certain set of principles, and we have a certain, a certain mission. And sometimes you win some and you make money and sometimes you lose you lose something and you make money and as the leader i'm not held up to my salary it doesn't have to be a certain point because i know that if that vision and those um that mission statement and that level of care and service that we are providing all of our clients whether they're tenants owners of any of our buildings um, and protecting our assets, that that money will come eventually. And I'll eventually, you know, have the presence that I want in different markets that I want, that I can set forth as an individual goal. But really, I think where people lose it is they're like, oh, I'm a failure. I didn't make this money. I haven't reached my goal. Well, have you, if your goal is just money, then it really doesn't matter what you're doing, right? You're not obsessed about, you're not, you're not passionate or you're not obsessed about what's going on right in front of you and sweeping in the corners or, you know, it's not that as a CEO or president of a company, a founder, an owner, that you're the one who needs to be the one who's sweeping in the corners, but you need to have the skill set and the ability to pick up that broom, sweep the corners, say, this is why we're sweeping in the corners. We're keeping these corners clean to your employees and your, and your team. 
And, and if you can cast that vision, you can come in, you can audit your systems of management and say, hey, this is where we're failing. This is where we're offline from our vision. I think that helps center you. And it doesn't make you a micromanager. It makes you stay on track because you're not removing yourself and out there on a ship in the middle of the ocean by yourself trying to hunt Moby Dicks. It's just, it won't work. <laughs> love it. Love that, that visual and that example. But you, you're spot on. And specifically right now, right? When everything is shaking, I feel like people are grabbing so desperately and for the control, whatever that means to them, right? And because they're so uncomfortable with so much change, with magnitude of change and lack of control that to the point that they're actually creating a reverse effect from what they truly desire. And as a result, impacting negatively everybody else around them. So yeah. great leadership <clears throat> uh, and vision point, definitely, please. Yeah, I think, um, you know, to that point is one thing I'm a member of a couple of different leads groups where you have business owners that come together and there are people right now because of, you know, government policy around COVID and everything that are actually thinking about getting out of their business, like selling off their business. And we're talking very, very successful people, but they've gotten so obsessed with the nut that they want to make every month and make it annually that they don't realize that, hey, this is time for a reset. Let's analyze things. Maybe we can change the structure of our company. I just had coffee this morning with somebody who's just like, I think I need to change my entire focus. I'm just going to, to start completely over. And um, when I was talking to her, I'm like, I don't think you need to start completely over. There's low hanging fruit out of there, out there in your industry. You just have to be able to go pick it off the tree. And I think that's the thing is everybody gets obsessed. Like, I, I mean, this is the crazy thing. I was sharing with her the amount of money that I actually make off of a $1,500 um, uh, condo rental. And she, her jaw dropped. She was like, you make that little off the, off one individual property. She's like, why do you even take them? I'm like, because it builds to something bigger and it's practice for my team to practice and implement everything so that we can handle the bigger projects. If we can't handle the little stuff and we can't take on that stuff or service those clients, then there's no reason why we could take on something bigger. And it was just like this aha moment in her mind of like, oh, wow, you know, I'm over, I'm stepping over nickels to pick up, you know, to chase this, you know, you know, $50,000 deal, dollar bills, whatever it is. And I'm just, and I'm, and there's so many other people chasing that as well, that everybody wants the big paycheck that they don't realize that you can build up a great baseline of business by just picking up that low hanging fruit and treating those people as if they are the big fish that you're ultimately after. I love your attitude. That is fantastic. And it's tremendous reflection of your leadership. And you spot on, if we don't appreciate small things, we're not going to appreciate bigger stuff. And, and with that attitude is putting so many companies not only to lose their clients, but also frankly, out of the business, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, and if the, everything, how we treat the people as from janitor to the president of the company tells what we value, what matters to us. And I think um, that is huge and tremendous opportunity 
uh, for everyone to really that is watching and listening to be reminded of. So, um, and you spot on, we're used to have these stretch goals. We used to have these insane expectations and so much pressures that a lot of that was just projection of something that was stressed us out more that is not realistic. And at the same time, we're just gonna fail because uh, we not only have support, but we frankly cannot believe we can even achieve that. So from Kate, what you're doing is actually reversely affecting team. So in teams, in terms of team dynamics, since you mentioned now those and in great advice that we've been giving, what are you seeing um, one of the key things to your success, how you treat your team and how you interact and culture that you're creating in your environment? Uh the I, I would say the biggest thing is constant reminder of what the vision is, the big, you know, the big picture. I don't care who it is, whether it's an independent contractor who's out, you know, changing out a toilet. Um, if I if I'm able to have a five minute conversation with them about what their protocol should be, it's, hey, you know, this might be a tenant. This, you know, you, you may run across the business owner while you're out there. Just know that even though you're an independent contractor, you're a representative of the company, and we treat everything with care and respect, um, not only to the asset, but to the tenant as well. And just keep each, each, there's a micro message to each employee, but the greater vision is that, you know, as a, we're only, you know, back to the whole services rendered. We can, our, our, our entire valuation, there's, all, there's another property management company around the corner everywhere in the country. And we're, we're measured not on whether or not we, you know, send them their monthly distro, the rents we collect or anything. We're measured on the services that we render. And each time you smile, you shake a hand, you, you make a call back, you're, you know, you, uh, you, you let a tenant know, hey, you don't need to be out of the house as long as we did because we don't have as many showings on there or, you know, commercial property, you know, we, you see, you see trash on the floor, you don't call the maintenance man, you pick it up. People see that and they see the care and the empathy that you have over their situation and that's contagious. That's contagious for the tenants, they treat us in turn that way and they start looking out for the property as well. And so it all just brings everything back to the most important most important piece is the asset protection. And so if you can have everybody focused on protecting that asset because you're offering services, you're picking up the trash as you're walking around the building, even though that's not your job, then um, the tenants start to do that. And it's and the next thing you know, things are shining, people are happy, everybody's doing acts of service to each other because you were you got rid of your pride, got rid of your ego, and you, you know, it's as simple as really just picking up a piece of trash. I love your attitude, obviously, for everybody that is listening and watching, being right now in real estate, definitely property management, when economy is going sideways, when people are losing everything, when it's so many different dynamics, and also actually knowing uh, statistically that it's not many really good uh, property management companies out there, and a lot of people are very dissatisfied, right, how they interact, because it's all transactional, it's a great money to be made, but it's not really great in terms of relationships, and and, 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 and as I love what you said, taking away egos, treating your team first the way you want it to be treated, and then treating your tenants with utmost respect. 
um, those are those are the key success criteria. I have to say for uh, for Jeremy, even for the larger enterprises, right? In any industry, sadly, with surveys, with data, they're still not doing it. And I'll keep always saying is like it takes the specific types of uh, DNA of the human really to just exude that. And I love what you said, how infectious they can be. So you see some amazing results and stability. And what would you say for everybody that's watching and listening that are part of really negative toxic energy or, or, or culture we, that are just trying to figure it out how either to sink or swim in the environment they're in or change? Uh, what would you ask, tell them to pay attention for and or maybe things that they could do themselves to maybe change that around? I, I, um, I use the term macro and umbrella a lot in my communication. <laughs> my favorite words. <laughs> <laughs> because umbrella, I, I would just say overarching umbrella. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's because I think, I, th I, I think a lot of people, when you're, when you're trying to drill down and find out how to resolve a situation, people function in that macro and that umbrella word range, like, yes. and, and it's like, well, what is, what are you, what are they really saying? And I mean, I just did this today with a tenant who was trying to deny showings for one of my leasing agents. And um, she was frustrated. And I just said, Hey, we're, we're functioning in the macro right now, micro, what does it mean if we have one person that wants to see the property? She's like, I just want to take my dog around for around the block for the walk. And I just want to know that. So I don't have to leave the property for an hour. I'm like done. And so it's really resolves things. And you, I think a lot of times we're speaking the same language, but we're saying different things because we use these umbrella words like forgiveness, like you use an umbrella word jealousy and you're describing these, these huge, you know, there's, there's so many linear things that that could mean but when you drill down to it, it's like, what does that mean for that person at that moment that they're saying it? And that's what you got to figure out. And that's how you meet people's needs. Wow. That and that's, that's really how you figure things out for yourself too. It's like, stop using umbrella words. I don't let my kids do it. Like when my kids come to me and they're like, dad, I'm feeling this. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> like you're using an umbrella word, stop. <laughs> and wow. they'll leave and they'll come back after they think about it for a while. That is absolutely brilliant. Guys, this is phenomenal golden egg. And I, I love this because it also helps with the miscommunication, misperception, right? Helps exactly. also without feeling heard or respected and, and have, can turn any difficult challenging situation around. Brilliant, absolutely. If you, brilliant. if you walk away from a conversation and you're taking actionable steps and, you're a, and you have to make assumptions based upon the words somebody else, used that's not a useful conversation and if somebody else has to do that with yourself with with you it's not a useful conversation for them and they're not going to take the right actionable steps and if you're doing that with yourself you'll never ever have any good personal growth wow I cannot agree more, but I'm just so glad it came from you. And again, <laughs> such an amazing perspective. Uh, because again, because Jeremy, I mean, I'm talking to people in wide ranges, right? From C-suite, Fortune 500 to whatever. And it's so interesting how sometimes we overcomplicate things, right? And how we mm -hmm. make it more complex just because of that righteousness or self-importance or justification, whatever might be the case. But in reality, everything is just so simple and so fluid. And, and real, right? And when that is there, everything else is just almost like effortless in a way, right? It is. And I think, I, I think a lot of this stuff is habitual, right? You know, we're never, I mean, 
I, we're never taught anything like this in school. And unless you go on a path to self-discovery or you really try to drill down, why am I having a problem with communicating with other people? How did this conversation go? And, you know, it ended up this way. Why am I not affecting change in myself that I can also affect change in others? And a lot of it comes down to just, you know, the words you're using and how you're effectively communicating that. Brilliant. I absolutely love it. And that is the key to success because we're a lot of times just uh, uh, speaking, but we're not communicating. And that is a huge difference, right? And then also when we respond, are we having sheer understanding? Are we speak just to respond? Are we speaking based on the knowledge and that we heard you? And now let's have another dialogue and another conversation, right? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you you can walk away from a 10 minute conversation without, you know, macro or umbrella words and or if you use them and you walk away from it and, and it be done and everybody knows exactly where they need to go, the resolution for a problem, or if you're using them, you can actually um, create more conversations, more confusion, and then you create divisions, even with your own company, divisions with your own personal self and self-doubt at the same time, because you really haven't been drilled down on to what your needs are. That is so true. And every time we hold that, right, builds up and creates a lot of anger, frustration of not feeling comfortable, whatever it might be. And then a lot of times we're seeing right now people lashing, right, as a result of all that, because they don't know how to self-manage and self-regulate their own emotions and how they fit in either a relationship or how they fit in the business or with a team, or whatever might be the scenario. So I know you've been doing some also amazing work uh, socially and for social impact. So do you mind sharing a little bit about also this other super awesome uh, person in personal professional mm-hmm. world, obviously, but things that you're so passionate about it and that you're giving and contributing. I'd love to uh, audience to have a chance to see that you can have it all and still <laughs> be grounded and humble and also make a tremendous impact and then uh... make a ripple effect. So please. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, there's been a lot of various things that I've been involved with throughout the years, but the last thing that um, hasn't fully been announced, a lot of people within you know my community uh, know what's coming down the pike, but we, uh, two years ago, we went on an expedition in Chile um, right before the um, protests, which turned into riots, which turned into a lot of civil disobedience and cops, you know, running over people in cars, you know, it's just, it turned just complete insanity. And now to the point where they're trying to elect new government officials and rewrite the constitution and everything. And it's um, what has uh, happened is the, um, is we were down there, we went down to create a new national park to create a lot of environmental awareness for um, this in uh, incredible region that's 45 minutes outside of uh, Santiago, Chile. And uh, we were gonna go ski the mountain. There wasn't enough snow. So it automatically turned into more of an environmental film (laughs) with that. But also we were down there at this crazy point in time where um, we, uh, we were able to see what was going on before when we started the expedition. And then we got out after 23 days being in the interior no contact other than our in-reach, you know, basically weather reports to see, you know, summit days and everything got out and it was unbelievable. Like my plane ride down there was packed. My plane ride back 
I was one of like 10 people on the plane back to the US wow. because the, the, the country had almost locked down at that point. So that'll be kind of the last passion project that I've been a part of. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of different things. It doesn't have to be quite as grand as that, that people can get involved in. But uh, raising awareness to a lot of the, you know, the crazy geopolitical um, climate has been something that's, you know, I love talking about and love raising awareness about. And I, whenever I do a podcast, I bring stuff like that up because I think it's something that a lot of people need to realize is just how unstable most of the governments are down in South America. Yes. Yes, and then Chile has such amazing culture, and I remember opportunity to uh, be watching with some of the guys from uh, National Geographic's from Penguin Crossing, and I will never forget, like I missed them, that opportunity, I regret most of my life, uh, but uh, what I wanted to say, but was just like this amazing uh, opportunity that I Though it's that's not conditions are not anymore same, and we're mentally they're not anymore the same. Let alone geopolitically, as you mentioned. So, so when you have opportunity, I feel like seize the day, right? Jump on it. But when things change, uh, we long for something that we used to have, we used to see, and it's just so sad when it's such a devastation for such a beautiful culture. And uh, because they're further removed, we don't get as much of the news. And and from global perspective, we obviously have to have to pay attention what's going on and how we can contribute. So. Yeah, and there's, and I think, you know, to that point about, you know, you don't always see exactly what's happening on the news. There's also a filter based upon what country you're in, where yes. that, how your, your news gets integrated into your platform. And I think, you know, the U.S. has a lot of ties to how the government was um, constructed down there. And I'm, I, I'm, Perfectly honest, I am a registered libertarian, mostly because I don't want calls from either party. <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't blame um, you. Yeah. I do not blame you at all. <laughs> all right, I, I did that and the call stopped. Nobody fundraises with me like, that guy's crazy. We're not going to call him. <laughs> but, Yay, uh, yeah. I won. <laughs> yeah. But the, uh, the, the, the premise for After Pinoche um, the, of, the, uh, of the government down in Chile was really formed on an extreme capitalist um, privatization of everything mentality and the Chilean people were really left with nothing. And the, the, the fare hike on the transportation, um, the public transportation is what put everybody over the edge because they really don't have anything. They don't have any access to natural resources. I think there's something like 2 million people that aren't within 15 miles of uh, drinking water. Um, down in Chile, which is crazy for that. You, know, you have the Andes right there. And you, you don't have, you know, a natural drinking water source at all. All of the water has been privatized. It's being siphoned off into the mining companies. And as an entrepreneur and a capitalist, you know, I am very, you know, I don't want the government involved in my business, but there's a huge difference between a community coming together and protecting something for the good of everyone. Yeah. And then, and then signing, and the opposite of that is signing it over and thinking that someone else can run it better than we can run it ourselves. And I think that's the dichotomy between libertarianism, you know, um, republicanism, you know, re Republicans, Democrats, and then socialism is, is where's that line in between. And, you know, the, the foundation of the government was really trained in um, the University of Chicago. 
And they went down there and they decided to do an extreme form of capitalism and it's really backfired. None of it was really good for the people because they were not able to control their community resources. Wow, and it's so awful. Thank you for sharing that and giving the, uh, some great pointers here because you're right, when we try to force and implement certain models, always work for few, but not for everyone. Mm -hmm. And people that are generally very kind and loving and caring and dismissive in many ways, because they just wanna go about their happy life and day to day, uh, right now are getting the huge brunt of it. And then social economically, we don't have much of middle class there. We have that extreme, very small percentage of wealthy and everything is just this huge, huge poverty. Um, 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 environment that we see actually something like that to this detriment uh, in Africa, right? And then you would think that that will change and because it's, you know, Chile has other precious resources. But again, if all of those are taken away from the people not investing in infrastructure for country, then what you see, it's going to be just horrible. COVID was also very bad for them right now. Hospital mm -hmm. care, uh, access to care. I mean, just some of those basic needs. And when you see things going reversely in modern time, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's, I mean, Santiago is, you know, is an incredible city, but the, the difference between the haves and the have nots is, you know, uh, unparalleled in a lot of other areas of South America. I mean, there's a few other cities that probably broach the same disparity of income. But I think, you I mean, you look at it and we think about, you know, our country in a linear plane, you know, you have, you know, a few hundred years and there's usually a pathway to uh, accumulate wealth because we've had one government over that time. And we didn't have, you know, socialism, communism, and then, you know, a, essentially a dictatorship for 30 years, like you did down in, uh, in Chile. And then this extreme form of capitalism where, you know, there was a time where there, where there was supposed to be a transition and there were a lot of promises made to people like the Campesinos, they were supposed to get land and they, they went into the mountains and started farming it, cultivating it. And then all of a sudden these big corporations come in and they lock them out of there and something they spent their whole life doing. It's like, where, you know, how are you sensitive to that? How can you, how can you, you can't ever make everybody happy, but there's gotta be a way to protect culture and still be able to, especially in modern day, when we're seeing it all over the world and where you know, corporations can come in, they can still you know, provide minerals and resources to the, uh, the community surrounding it and still make a profit. There has to be some way to do that and be sensitive to the fact that you know, during that period of time when Pinochet was there, there, I mean, there's very little education going on there, you know, there was basically a lost generation. And if you look at America, we've never really experienced that lost generation time. I mean, some of our native cultures we have, of, of course, but, um, but linearly, there's always been a pathway for opportunity and there's never been a, a full generational setback um, outside of, you know, some of the stuff that went on in the Western United States in the late 1800s, you know, so it's, it's just a completely different culture and people are constantly swimming upstream and there's not a lot of up upward mobility, I think is what I'm trying to say, even though it is a, um, you know, a capitalistic country.
That is such a great insight and thank you for sharing that because what we forget and specifically right now what we're seeing that is happening in Afghanistan and other parts, Syria and all of that. And for me who would grow up in Europe and grew up with initially very socialistic and a little bit of communistic regime, but then lived in Sweden with uh, this socialistic democratic regimes and, and being exposed to different uh, uh, ways of being, right? And then coming to very capitalistic environment was a huge adjustment for me, right? Because for me, it was like, okay, you know, all of us are contributing, all of us are making difference, you know, let's let's collaborate, let's make an impact. And then I found this insane competitiveness instead of complementing and contribution, but also found this very unhealthy individualism. And I think that we project and pride ourselves on it, but in reality, people are miserable and very unhappy because we're not meant to be so individualistic. We're meant to share and meant to be part of, you know, great family or or, 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 or have opportunities. And, and I'm seeing people as a result crippled because they don't know how to coexist, you know, in marriages, that's why we have divorces or in relationships because we're very unhealthy because of addictions, right? So with that in mind, uh, obviously we have a lot of work to do, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we definitely do. I think, um you know, one of the biggest, biggest things that I would say about that is, you know, we, you know, we come from a tribal background, right? You know, people want to belong, be, uh, belong, they want to be part of a community. And there's this illusion that that's a sign of weakness. And um, in the United States, especially, is uh, that you have to be this lone wolf, you have to go out and you have to make your own way. And um, that isolation can breed um, a lot of depression and it can honestly when you shun when you're shunned by a community or you shun a community you think you might be an individual you honestly by default join another community and uh i mean it could be watching you know youtube videos all night long and going down a rabbit hole on some kind of idea and getting you know crazy thoughts in your head and it's i i think if I think the biggest thing that I think what you're saying is making, you have to be personally accountable, right? Yes. You have to be able to look within, but at the same time, you have to be willing to go out there and make yourself accountable to the community that you're in as well. And I, that's, that's really, it's, it's kind of a crazy thought because so much of what we have today is, is people have a private self that's, probably really close to what their true self is and then they have a public self and when those two and they're not comfortable with those two things aligning publicly and yes. um my it's so crazy that we're talking about this is i've had i've had a couple of friends that are going through some really tough times um uh well one's going through some really tough times the other one has some stunted uh business growth and it's so easy to see that the problem is that their private self doesn't align with their public self. And it's not that their private self is bad, right? It's, it, you know, they may just be doing things that they don't want other people to know about, but if they brought that into the public, everybody who's their core friends would accept them still. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, you know, the uh, business illusion of success. And I have to maintain this image to be successful. So I can't reveal this part of my private self because I won't have that image of success. And it's, it's, it's crazy in how that 
separates yourself and you ultimately don't become accountable to yourself or anyone else because you're constantly revealing the two different things, the and two those, different sides of you. And, and I love that you mentioned that. And we've seen so many people dancing into that. And I always call leaders out because you have to be 24 seven in essence who you are. That is exhausting. It's impossible to keep. And ultimately it's like going to bipolar individuals, right? That you're trying to maintain. And when we're not in sync, when we not come authentic, then what happens? People sense that that affects your business, that affects how you've been perceived, but also affects your personal life. And what do you do internally with your family or, or what? Whatever might be the case and more of that authenticity we need uh, really to show and and doesn't matter it's the best version of ourselves but the version that we're today and being comfortable with that but I love also something I heard years ago that being great advice for me Isabella it's like just when you know that you did the best you could every single day nothing to worry about it right when you show up and you know Jeremy you delivered you did a phenomenal obviously interview today which I'm super thrilled had a chance to talk but also just being who you are in the core that that is like the most valuable asset as any human being can deliver would you agree with that I would agree with that. And I would take it one step further, though, is you have to realize that you've done the best that you can within the framework of what you need to do. And right. that becomes there, there's an inward realization and an outward realization. And I was told, um, you know, my dad had a lot of hyperactivity, he was very much a people pleaser. And um, there's a lot of negative attributes that developed after a lifelong, a lifetime of living that way that developed his personality, you know, later on in his life. And one of the things that somebody told me when I was behaving that way was, there's a reason why the postal office has the best job security in the United States, because the mail's always got to be delivered tomorrow. And <laughs> it doesn't matter how much mail you deliver today, there's going to be another bag of it for you tomorrow. And <laughs> that is good one. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no. So it's just like, you've got to do what you can do, but you also realize that you can't do it all. And um, it's funny. We were, we were in a leadership meeting with my company and I was talking about how, you know, just defining different roles, different, you know, systems of management. And, um, and it doesn't matter, you know, say you're driving down, a massive superhighway. There's eight lanes going the same direction that you are. You, you're in a Ferrari and you can go 200 miles an hour if you want to. You can go as fast as you want to or as slow as you want to, but you can still only drive in one lane at a time. That's all you got, right? Because your car only fits in one lane at a time. Now you can switch over to this lane for a little while, that lane for a little while, merge across 10 lanes, whatever it is but you really are only driving in one lane at a time. And that's, that's, I think in leadership is one of the biggest things that you need to learn is, you know, you might be responsible for, you know, things running down all of those lanes, you know, at any given time of the day, but there's only so much you can do and you've got to pick a lane, plug into it, drive for a little bit, and then merge over to the other lane. 
That is brilliant. I love your analogies and they're so beautifully uh, tying all this together, which also brings another uh, question when in closing here, Jeremy, obviously you had tremendous successes in life. You already impact communities. You already established your independent individual legacy based on who you are. But everything that you are up to at this point and wanted to do more and doing in years to come, could you tell me what would you like your legacy to be now? for what would you be like to be remembered by you know i that's really changed over the last couple of years um you know i think when i was younger you know i would love to have died with an ice axe and skis on my back on the mountain but these days but i also had a lot of broken interpersonal relationships at that time because you know there was a lot of rugged individualism in me and i was gone for you know up to six months of the year away from family, friends, and a lot of interpersonal relationships. So moving, moving into my latter years, I really want to leave behind a legacy of, of care, empathy, and just strong um, interpersonal relationships in the business community, in the athletic world, and in, within my own family and within my children. And I want them because I think if I'm able to establish that with them and those people that are closest to me, that will transfer um, to others as well. Wow, that is so powerful and I love it. And obviously they're watching, right? You have to lead by example (laughs) and build the healthy, beautiful humans that are going to be one day uh, also as successful as their dad, which is fantastic. But also obviously a trajectory where you bring into community and I love that. And in closing, Jeremy, do you mind just sharing where the audience that is listening and watching can find you and reach out to you? Because obviously not only you're doing so many things well, but you're also obviously creating phenomenal community around you. So if they wanted to ping you, get to know you or explore other opportunities, where that would be? Um, I think the best place is social media. Um, I have two, I have, well, I have three different channels. And uh, one, I am starting a podcast. I'm just, I've recorded a couple episodes so far. Yay, so what fun. is the name of it? <laughs> it's called, it's called Solitary Wolves. And um, it's going to be about people that aren't running with the pack. They're out, you know, blazing their own way. And um, obviously, you know, investing into a community and, um, you know, there'll be all kinds of different uh, types of people on there will be outdoor athletes, climbers, skiers, snowboarders. And then there'll be a lot of entrepreneurs and there'll just be some characters that are out there doing some rogue things that I think are really cool. So Yay. It'll be interesting. And that's at Solitary Wolves on Instagram. Um, my personal channel is at Jayski Climb. And um, then my company is VIP Real Estate Management. And you can follow along with, you know, what we have going on there. There'll be some other things that'll develop like Property Manager Minute. We're going to start developing that. And that's at VIPREPM. And that's also VIPREPM.com. That's brilliant. We'll make sure that we have those links for everybody also to easily find you in the summary of this podcast and the show. Uh, we're super grateful you had a chance to spend time with us and share amazing trajectory and golden nuggets and how did you transfer those skills and everything you learn to be amazing human you are here today. So thank you, Jeremy, for being with us on Legacy Leaders Podcast. Thanks so much for having me.
Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers. Thank you.